But this morning, if you're a guest with us, we've been going through Romans piece by piece. Uh, chapter 4 we went through kind of speedily, but I put on the brakes when I hit Romans chapter 5 as we're continuing to look at justification by faith. And it was just too good to be true. And, and uh, Tammy, she got my notes uh, and she goes, wow, just this is I could put it on one page. And, and I said, well, that's just because as I was studying it, I couldn't believe the information that was coming out. So uh, you may only have you know, a few, a few uh, fill-ins, uh, but you might need to use the back page for all the notes that come with it. We're talking about a secure blessing of justification by faith. Part one, I was going to do this all in one message. Uh, Lord willing, it'll be three messages, and I'll take up the rest of uh, May. And the joy is, is if you could be praying and start preparing um, uh, our very own uh, Pastor Rob Robbins is going to be going through his ordination June 4th. And you could be preparing your heart uh, and to listen and to see how he does under the, his own pressure of answering questions from a theological perspective. And theology is not, he's, it's not about having everything worked out in your mind. It's simply the study of God. And and to say that, yes, he is qualified, called, and he handles God's uh, word well to lead us. It is not for a position's sake. So as you prepare your hearts, we ask that you would pray for not only God's direction, but also God's work in Rob's heart and the work of, of uh, First Baptist Church as we go through this opportunity. We want you to see that God has called him to be a pastor in a, our church, to lead us and, and to continue to lead us uh, for as long as God would call him to do so. Uh, we have the opportunity to have some of uh, Rob's uh, fellow uh, mentors and guys that have known him for a while. And so you can pick their brains, find out some good stories and, uh, but they're going to be here helping to lead that. And the beautiful thing is, is it's not uh, an organization, not an association that ordains or that says, yes, we affirm that this man has been called to the gospel ministry of proclaiming God's word. It is us as the body of Christ at First Baptist. So as you come, we would ask that you, on June 4th, starting at 10 o'clock, um, and you can come and participate. We'll have a potluck at lunch, and you can come and listen uh, to uh, Rob get roasted. And, uh, and uh, the better we roast him, the better the barbecue at lunch. And so anyway, we're going to hear how he handles God's word. And then after that, around uh, we'll probably be done around 2 o'clock, and then we'll have a short business meeting. And we want you to be a part of that, to hear that. So you can decide, based on God's leading in your heart, that yes, God has called, God has called Rob to be a pastor. And so uh, we are taking this seriously to hold us accountable, to hold Rob accountable. And so it, it is for his benefit and for our benefit. And we really are loving the, him to do that. So you're going to be hearing more and more about that. There'll be emails and things going out. 
encourage you to just begin to pray now uh, for a month from now. And it'll be a great, wonderful opportunity uh, to not only bless our church, but to bless Rob and his family. Let's pray. As we look at just the first couple verses, we've read the whole text in, in Romans chapter 5. Um, but let's pray and ask God to teach us from the first uh, several verses, the first two verses of Romans chapter 5. Lord, we ask for your blessing, not the blessing of my words, and we really want to be true to your word. Your word is, is truth. Your word is life, and you've given us the Holy Spirit to help us, and we ask for that, and, and that we would take the time to continue to worship you by the hearing of your word, and Lord, to allow you to explain it to our hearts. I pray that you uh, that everyone here would look past me and look to your word and allow it to teach them. And so, Lord, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to elevate the importance of your word together. Lord, it is our desire to glorify you, and may we do that now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, it's really an outflow of where we've been. And, and God summarizes where we've been in the last couple of verses. And so we'll read those and the first two verses. So starting in verse 24 of chapter 4, and it says, But for ours also, um, or let's go to verse 23. But the word, the word it was counted to him was not written for his sake alone, but also for ours it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised him from the dead, our Lord, who was delivered up for our transgressions or our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, because of that, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope for the glory of God. This is great. We talk about the title, Secure Blessings of Justification by Faith. Therefore, because what we've been given, what God has done for us when he justified us, when we had faith in his works and what Christ did on the cross to stand in between what we deserve. We deserved all of God's wrath because we were ungodly. But Christ, in his love for us, died on the cross for our sins. And because of that, he rose and he rose again because he conquered death, because he was righteous. He took all of our sin, and then he rose again, displaying his righteousness for us. When we put our faith and trust in him, that has been reconciled to our account. It's been accounted to us, been given to us through faith. It's by faith alone, by the work of Christ alone, that we receive this justification, being declared right in God's eyes. It's really a blessing. It's very beautiful. And, and there's, as I was studying this, there's two main things, is that what we have that we've been guaranteed because of this justification by faith. And we see these immense blessings. But not only that, we see a common thread in chapter 5, and that we have this great assurance and security because of the work of God. So I put it in the title, Secure Blessings. We have this great assurance and this great blessing. 
In fact, in verse 2, it says, We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. As I was studying this, I was... I came across a story of uh, a true story of two Russian pastors that after the fall of uh, of the wall in Berlin and and as as things began to weaken and things were uh, happening uh, after World War II and after the time of Reagan and and so these two Russian pastors were able to come to America for the first time and and they had this opportunity to go with a local pastor to the supermarket, and we take the supermarket for granted. It's just, it's a place where we go, and we, if we need a treat, or if we need to get our food, and, and we have different levels of supermarkets. I mean, you can go to the convenience store. It's just conveniently placed uh, on your way, so you can grab a, a small treat. My, my kids long every time they see, you know, the, the supermarket, whether it's on Grandview, and you're going to the, you know, they say, hey, can we stop at what used to be the AMPM or when we drive down, oh, you know, the, the 7-Eleven, it's convenient. Or we have the local grocery store, and, or we have now Costco, which is really the supermarket because it's huge and has lots of big things. These two pastors, as they came in, they looked at, at everything and they were just shocked by the mere immensity of food and things. And as they sat there, they were holding uh, an apple, as the story goes, and they were looking at it. And they looked at the pastor, and they said, who owns all of this? And they said, is this owned by the government? I mean, and, and he's like, no, it's just different people that have sold their produce to the market, and then anybody can buy it. And, and as they looked at all of this stuff and realized that, that the government didn't own it, they began to cry and weep. And they sat there and they just could not believe the amount of blessings. As they talked to the pastor, the pastor asked, like, why are you weeping? And they said, just cannot believe the amount of blessings that have been poured out on your community. Because they've never experienced anything like that. And that's true for us as we think about a lot of times when we go somewhere that we've never been before. And, and I've watched people as they've gone with me on different trips and we've been to Spain or we've been to Poland or you know we've gone to Mexico and we've gone to the different places around the world and and people are like wow you know I didn't realize what I really had and what I really have to enjoy we are really blessed and and that's true and as we come to chapter 5, and Paul is really pulling this point out, is, is sometimes we forget what we really have. On, and the emphasis is on what we have based on what has been given. Not what we have on what we can produce ourselves, but what is we have because of what's been given freely to us. The word blessings, I chose that word because... I like to go on long rabbit trails, and one of my f- rabbit trails is when I'm studying, I like to look at words, and where did that word come from, and I like to follow it, and we take blessings for granted today when we say, oh yeah, we're blessed, or you know, blessings be on you, or we p- pray blessings and stuff, but we don't really think about the meaning of that word, and the meaning of the word over history and, com- and going back in time it meant the, portray, the portrayal or portrays a person who is free from daily cares and worries 
because every breath and circumstance is in someone else's hands. They're truly blessed because they realize that every, they don't have to worry about everything. Because all the daily cares and all the circumstances, all the worries are really in the hands of someone else. And in our text, Paul is really pointing to that, that everything that we have is in the hands of the work of the Lord, who has given us amazing amount of assurance and blessing. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we see what that blessing is founded on when it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. All of our blessings as a, as a believer is all based on this position, the result of a position that's been given to us, that we've been justified, that we've been declared right in God's eyes, this position in which we find ourselves because of responding to the work of the Lord by faith. We are blessed because of this position. You know, you know if you're blessed because you're in quicksand, that's a different position altogether, Right? The position matters. Our life isn't blessed because of our circumstances and our work. I mean, that's like falling in sand. Our circumstances are always shifting in our life. One minute things are going easy and the next minute, you know, an animal is sick at our farm. Or, you know, every, anything can happen. You can wake up, any, anything can happen. You know, you can go to bed and everything's great. And the next morning, there's a cow sitting at your front door because they broke the fence and they eaten mom's flowers. And she's like, get that cow back at his bed. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. Right? You have stories going through your head right now that things shift. Position matters. And that's what Paul is saying. Because, and he's shifting. Before it was all of the arguments about how we are seen right in God's eyes. And there's a lot of people going through life trying to be good and, and be good in front of God. And he said there's only one way to be declared right. And that is through the work that Christ has done on the cross for our sins. To respond to that in faith. To acknowledge that. It's by faith in his work alone. You know what's amazing when we look at, since we have been justified, you know, I, you, I like to bring out the talking about words because words matter. Everybody is flying around giving new definitions of words. It's always good to ask somebody, so what, is, what does that word mean to you? Because it may mean something different. Well, to the text, when the author said, has been justified by faith, He's saying that he's identifying, it's an aorist tense, and it's identifying that our justification was a one-time event in the past. It happened in the past that we were justified by faith. When we believed, we were declared legally not guilty, and God gave us his righteousness to our account. We took our sin out of our account, and he applied the work of Christ to our life and gave us his righteousness. Justification is not something that is, is going on now and it's not something that just is happened and completed. It's something that happened and was completed at the moment that we were saved, when God saved us, that we were declared right. But not only that, 
this word, having been justified, not only was it the aorist tense saying that it happened at one time event, but it's also in the passive voice. And you've heard this before. It's amazing because what it means is that it indicates that this declaration came from an outside source. In this case, being that God himself has declared us righteous. And so when we put our faith in Christ, he declared us righteous. It was his act of declaration. It wasn't our work. It wasn't our declaration. We didn't go and say, hey, you know, I finally read through all the Bible. I am arrived. I am a believer. I, you know, I am saved. I'm a good person because of something I did. It's a passive thing. It says you have been justified because of your response by faith. We are acquitted of the charges that are levied against us because we are not right in God's eyes. Those charges have been transferred or imputed or reckoned to the account of the sin bearer, that is Christ, and has been, he sacrificed himself on the cross as a substitute lamb of God, and it was done outside of us. It's not our work. It was a one-time event based on a work that's outside of us. That's so important because it's what gives us our security. Because it doesn't, it's not based on our security. It's not based on how good we continue to be. What's amazing is, has ever noticed that, that people that continue to try to be good and try to do good and they wear themselves out and they give up many times. It's like it's so frustrating trying to be good. But our goodness comes through Christ. The ability to even do good or want to do good based on our position in Christ. That is what gives us this secure blessing, the, the blessings that have been declared right. When God declares us right and gives us his righteousness, there's these amazing blessings that gives us great assurance. And the first one there is found in verse 1, and that we have peace with God. We have peace with God. Since we've been justified by faith, since we put our faith in Christ, if you're a believer, these, this is what has been given to you. This is your assurance. This is your joy. This is your blessing. This is what, the contentment that you can have because of the position that's been afforded to you. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we have that, we now have peace with God. Now, you notice it didn't say the peace of God. There are two types of peace that are mentioned that are related to God in the Bible. There's peace with God, and there's peace of God. And a lot of times we think of the peace of God. We want peace in our life. We want to enjoy that contentment, that joy, that peace that comes from God. And we look for that. The world longs for peace. You know, you hear it all the time. Shalom is a word that we hear a lot of being at peace, that contentment, that ultimate peace that everybody longs for. But that's not the word here in our text. It says we have peace with God. That denotes something entirely different. A lot of times we don't think about the fact that we need to have peace with God. Because before we are saved, before we've been 
declared right in God's eyes, we're actually at war with God. You say, what? Yeah. Most of us don't ever view ourselves at being at war with God, and, and most of mankind don't see themselves at being at war with God, but we can see it by the way that people treat God and treat the Bible and treat other believers. There's a war going on. But you know what's amazing? In, in Psalm chapter 7, 11 through 12, this text, along with a lot of texts in Romans, points to this reality. And it paints an amazing picture of an unbeliever and their position and their lack of peace with God. In verse 11 in Psalm 7, it says this, God is a righteous judge. That means he is a holy, perfect, complete, all of his attributes at work when he judges. He is a right judge. And he's a God, listen to this, and a God who feels indignation every day. He feels indignant every single day. Verse 12, if a man does not repent, God will wilt out his sword or, or unsheath his sword. And he has bent and readied his bow. He has drawn the bow for those that will not repent of their sin. They, he is ready to be at war to deliver that, that final death blow for those who will not repent and turn to him. That, is, that means that God is ready for war. Isn't that amazing? God is angry with unbelievers. God is angry with those who choose not to repent. Uh, unbelievers are not at peace with God. However, that all changes at the moment. Think about this. This all changes at the moment that you put your faith and trust in Christ. When God declares you right based on his work, you are no longer at war with God, but now you are at peace. There is at peace with God. And this word, you know what it really means? We think whenever we hear peace, we think of shalom. Ah, you know, that melting peace of just relaxing contentment. But you know what this word means, peace? It's to bind together that which has been separated. It's so beautiful. We have been brought together by the work of Christ. He has bound us together. What was separated and at, at odds with one another. You know those magnets? You know, and then you put them together and they just, and they repel. Our sin just repelled and made us at war with God. But when God declared us right by faith, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, he has made us to be at peace with God. That's what justification by faith does for a position of a believer, is that we now have peace. Uh, Frederick uh, uh, Philippi, uh, an old Jewish theologian, he said this about this text in, in Romans chapter 5. He says, this is not a state of mind, being at peace with God is not a state of mind, but a relationship with God. And in fact, he goes on to say, to, say, to say it another way. He's saying that peace with God is not a fact, but it's a feeling. It's not, it, it, or I'm sorry, let me, I'm being dyslexic. Let me stop. Being at peace with God is a fact and not a feeling. I love Isaiah. You should turn to Isaiah 32. If you haven't memorized this verse, this is a great verse. 
And I want you to read it and see it, so I'm going to turn myself there, if I can get there. I love hearing all the pages turning. It's great. In Isaiah, if you're swiping, that's okay. Just make sure it's on do not disturb so you don't get all the notifications. But Isaiah 32 and verse 17, listen to this beautiful picture of faith and the effect of God's righteousness being poured into our life. This is the peace that God is talking about in Romans 1. It says, and the effect, the effect of righteousness will be peace. And it's the same word that we're talking about. It'll be what brings us together, that which used to be separated. That's the effect of God's righteousness in our life. And listen to the second part. And the result of righteousness is quietness and trust forever. You know what that word quietness in Hebrew means? It literally means the absence of war. He's describing this peace. He says the effect of righteousness, the result of that, peace that God brings because of his righteousness being applied to our life will be the absence of war with God. Do you know what that word quietness at the end? It says quietness and trust forever. It's the Hebrew word for a secure confidence. Do you know what the New Testament calls that? A great hope. A secure confidence. When we have been declared right in God's eyes, he has given us a peace, this amazing peace that binds us together, that's absence of war, and that gives us a great, secure confidence. The truth is any form of real peace comes from a proper position and relationship with God. You know what the other secure blessing that we have is that we have access to God. In chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Though through him we have also obtained access by faith. Some translation calls it introduction. It's a great word. There are some translations, instead of access, they use the word introduction. We've been introduced By faith, we've been introduced to this amazing relationship with God. We have this secure blessing, this great joy of having access to God. In the secular Greek, they use this word access, talking about an access for for ships. It was an access into a safe harbor. They would say that a ship has access to come into this harbor. Um, They would levy taxes on ships to say whether or not a ship could come in and use the harbor. Not all ships were allowed in. But at, and they would use this word to say that they were introduced or they had access. It was a point of access for ships to be introduced. This word also pictures a provision of access into the presence of one who would normally be restricted. So the word literally meant that you now have access to something that normally you would never have access to. We have no right to be in the presence of God. But because of the work of God on the cross, when Jesus died for our sins, we have now been granted access by faith to the Lord. It's a a point of privilege. It's a point of being a child of God that we get to be 
to stand with confidence in the throne room with our Heavenly Father. The word was used by the Israelites when they talked about the Old Testament, when they talked about the Holy of Holies. They, no one was granted access to the Holy of Holies. To go into the Holy of Holies was to invite death because of their sin, because they were not perfect. In fact, it was only reserved for a very limited time for, a, for a, the priest to go through this long process of purification. On the Day of Atonement, they would purify themselves all week. They would have to have mentally and from their heart and from their outward cleansing to be pure, no sin, no filth, no nothing, and they would go in. In fact, they didn't even trust it enough that they put a bell on them. If they heard the bell, they knew the guy was moving. If they didn't hear the bell, they had a rope tied around his waist, and they'd pull him back out because he died, going in to offer sacrifice for all of Israel on the Day of Atonement. But now we have access. We have, because of the position of being justified, we have this access to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords. It's like the illustrated in the story of Esther, right? If you go to Esther, Esther, he, she went in to inform the king of what was going on, and she had no right to present herself to the king, but she went anyway. To have that introduction before the king was to either he would accept you or he would kill you. Fortunately for her, the king granted grace. God has given us great grace in which he has extended to us. In fact, it says there, we have obtained access by faith. This is in the perfect tense, which has huge ramifications we, we overlook this, and, and people fight over the, whether we have security in our salvation or whether we have to keep you know, becoming, you know, we have to keep doing good things in order to be saved. We can lose our salvation. But this is in the perfect tense. That means this action was completed at a specific point, a specific time in the past with results continuing into the future. At a present time, Christ died at that one point in time. He died on the cross for our sins so we could be justified in God's eyes by faith. The perfect tense here speaks of a permanency of our access to God independent of human merit. There's no human merit that continually needs to happen. It's because of what Christ has done that we have access continually for the rest of eternity to the throne room right now. The reason we came to worship is because we're here because of our relationship that we continually have because of what Christ has done for us. And because of that, we have grace from God. Now, you know if you forget something when you're doing, you know, when you're doing English, they have that little that little mark, you put a little, like a little pyramid above something. Right in between, we have, that where it says have and grace, put a little, a little, uh, you know, a little symbol, a little pyramid symbol, and right above it, standing or stand. We have a standing grace from God. Did you look at what it says in verse 2? says, through him, through Christ, we have also obtained access by faith 
into this grace in which we stand. We have standing grace from God. It's really important. You know what the word stand carries the idea of permanence. The word standing means permanence, of being firmly fixed, immovable. The Greeks would use this word to, basically it's, uh, it's like a permanent fixture that can't be moved. Basically, the verse teaches us that we are absolutely secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. In this verse, we have, it's, in other words, in this verse is all about our eternal security. That we are securely fixed in the standing of God's grace. Standing, by another theologian, he put it this way, Standing refers to the new place in which I put, I am put by grace as justified before the throne of God and the risen and risen in Christ forever beyond the reach of any judgment. Sometimes we think about the state in which we find ourselves. A state is different than standing. The theologian went on to say the state is the condition of our soul. It's an experience. This is not talking about our state. It's talking about our standing. Because of the grace that has been given to us, we have a standing that's permanently fixed before God. Standing never varies. State is fluctuating and depends upon the measure in which I walk with God. My standing is always perfect because it's measured by Christ's acceptance God's justification by his work. I am accepted in him. But my state will be good or bad as I walk in the spirit or I walk in the flesh. According to this one verse, you know, we looked at in verse 1, we are saved and we are justified by faith. And now in this verse, that is, we did not, this is something we did not earn. We did not buy it or get it as a reward, but by grace, this salvation was given as a gift. And now we stand firm in it, fixed, firm for the rest of eternity. That's what this verb is saying. It's not saying that it's something that we did. It's not saying that we have to continually do. It's saying this: we have this standing. Because this is true, because this is what it's saying, that that we stand affixed by God's grace that we didn't earn, this unmerited favor that has been given to us now affix us in this standing, in this relationship with God that we now have access by faith to the Lord. In other words, it was faith in God's work that saved the soul and it's grace that keeps the soul. We live by grace. We live by grace having faith in what Christ has done for us. To say that we are saved by trusting in Jesus, then after that, we must keep ourselves saved is a total contradiction to this verse. If I can keep myself saved, if I can go on and keep working and keep myself safe, then why do I just go, go ahead and do the whole job myself? There's a logic there that can't be answered. The answer is, I can't do either of these things. I was saved by grace, and I am kept by grace. It's God all the way. It doesn't have anything to do with me. The work 
It has nothing to do with me. I just respond. I repent and I turn by faith and say, yes, that is right. I acknowledge the Lord. I stop trusting in myself and in my own understanding and I turn and I acknowledge the work of Christ and by faith, he justifies me. That leads to the end. We have hope in the glory of God. Now, can you see why I didn't do this in one message, verses 1 through 11? We have hope in the glory of God. It ends verse with this great statement, in which we stand, we have rejoice, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Remember, hope is not, I hope so. The hope is looking forward to something with reason for confidence and respecting full fulfillment of. Calvin put it this way, he said, Paul's meaning is this, although believers are now pilgrims on this earth, yet by their confidence they surmount or they climb to the heavens so that they cherish their future inheritance in, the bosoms, in their bosoms with tranquility. We have great trans- tranquility because of the great confidence that we have in the work of Christ. Another theologian, Hodge, he explained it this way. He says, there is a joy, joyful confidence expressed in these words that now we have peace, we have access, and we have great standing because of the grace of God, and now we live with great expectant confidence and hope in the glory of God. He says, there's this great joyful confidence expressed in these words and assurance of ultimate salvation which is the appropriate effect of justification. We are authorized and bound to feel sure that we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We we will be certainly saved. This confidence is the only fitting response to the merit of his sacrifice and certainty of God's love. Let me put it this way by a great hymn writer, when coming to this passage, he wrote this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. And you might, what's the sweetest frame? The framework of this world. The framework of anything that seems sweet, he's talking about, I dare not trust in the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. He's repeating what we've already heard about a great confidence that we have in Christ. He's saying that I have this expectant confidence. I know this is going to happen. That he knows that he is securely blessed. He has great tranquility in his heart. He is truly blessed. A person who knows that his position is secure because of the work of Christ. This is what we have. How are you confidently living today? Is it based on your position in Christ? Or is it based on your position of your works? Is it position of your family? Is it position on what other people are you... Only confident if other people treat you a certain way. The way that you want. I deserve to be treated this way. Well, no, we deserve to go to hell. 
But by grace, we've been given this access and a peace with God through the work of Christ. Do you have this expectant hope, this tranquil confidence in this just contentment and peace based on your position that has been given to you because you were justified by faith in Christ? Or are you living a disordered life, a life without this sure standing? You know what a disordered life is? It's a life walking on sinking sand. Have you tried to walk on sinking sand? Have you ever even tried to run on sinking sand? Some of us have tried that before in the past. It brings great soreness to my muscles. But yet we choose to live our life that way sometimes. Not based on what God has given us, but based on what we think we can secure for ourselves. And it's, it's worthless. It's vain. Are you living based on the disordered things of this world or on the sure hope and confidence that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord? Because of Christ's work, we have peace with God. We have access to God. We are, do you go longing to just enjoy that access that you have as a son and daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ? Living by grace, knowing that we don't deserve it, but we enjoy it. Do you run to him with great confidence and hope? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Right? On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. I stand there not because I did anything, but because he placed me there. He took me out of the mire of this world and set me on the rock. Where are you? Are you keep, are, are you, have you put your faith and trust in Christ? Have you been justified by responding to his work? Are you still trying to slog and work your way through this disordered world. Stop trying to do everything on your own and find your position based on the work of Christ. Respond to him and put your faith. How many of you keep jumping off the rock? And you realize, I, that, and you cling to that rock saying, what am I doing? Put your faith and trust firmly. Put, remember, you're, you have a standing in Christ. Live there. Stop worrying about the circumstances in your life and realize what you have. These are beautiful, beautiful words. Verses 1 and 2. We have more than we ever can imagine. Just like those pastors walked into that supermarket and never imagined that amount of food that they would ever see in their lifetime. Do you... Are you walking into the throne room every day realizing that we have more than we can ever imagine? He has poured out every blessing, Ephesians chapter 1, that we could ever need in our entire life. He doesn't withhold it from us. Only us, when we turn and try to rely on ourselves, we stop enjoying the blessings that he has provided for us. We can never get in the way of God's work but we can live a life that's not enjoyable. Stop and realize what we have and let that wash over you. 
And I trust it'll be a blessing that you realize the position that we have in Christ by faith. Lord, I pray that, that if someone here is not a believer that has not put their faith and trust in you, that are not saved from their sins, that realize there is none righteous, no, not one. We don't meet your standards. We could never live up to your standards. But you provided a way through Christ, through your Son who came to live and die for us and then rose again to bring us our justification that endures forever, that is secure, that it's based on that work and it's not based on anything we can do, that they today, in their, because of their heart, they know this is true, that they would stop looking at themselves and they would turn to you and say, yes, Lord, I believe this and I put my faith and trust in you. I pray that you would save them today, that they would call upon you and be saved. Lord, as we sing and as we worship you, that, that, Lord, you would do that work in their hearts, open their heart, and, Lord, that they might respond to you by faith and trust you and that they would realize they have a new standing, a new position, this position that we talked about this morning. Lord, I pray that if anyone here has been struggling in their walk and frustrated, miserable, fighting, that maybe they've realized that they've been living a disordered life based on the sinking sand of this world that's not going anywhere, that one day will be destroyed. The only thing that matters is their position in Christ, that you have, done, that you have given them the rock, being justified freely by his gift, being declared right in your eyes. May we run to that and cling to the rock that is greater than I, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we find great comfort and peace every day that we live in that position. Lord, thank you. Thank you for doing all that work for us. In Jesus' name we pray.